It's truly a joy to be with you today, together, to worship our good God. If you grab your Bibles with me, church, and turn to the New Testament letter of 1 John chapter 5, 13 through 15, it says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. If we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the request that we have asked of Him. John turns once again to the topic of assurance and confidence in these closing paragraphs of this first letter. My prayer this morning for each of you who belong to Christ our Lord is that you too have real confidence in your eternal standing and in your moment-by-moment connection with God, especially in prayer. Our faith is not worth very much if it's constantly unsettled and wavering. May we know what it is to have our feet firmly grounded on the rock that is Jesus Christ, even when the storms beat on us tirelessly. May our confidence be firmly secure in our good and almighty God for all that He is, has promised, and will do Look with me at verse 13 as we jump in this morning. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. What does he mean? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Salvation comes to the sinner by believing in the name of Jesus. It is not just believing about Him. It is believing into Him. It is a belief that causes you to die to yourself and your flesh, to live to Christ, to live for Him, for His glory, for His purposes, for His will. Why does John emphasize belief in the name of the Son of God? This is to give weight into whom you are believing into. His name is Jesus. Back then, names were given not just because mom and dad really liked the sound of a name. But a name served to capture much more of the meaning about who a person is. Therefore, believing in the name is the same as believing in the person who bears that name. His name is Jesus. In Hebrew, Yeshua. It means Yahweh saves. Yahweh, the holy name of God. And then what God came to do to save His people from their sin. Jesus' name. Yahweh, not a name to be taken lightly. It's full of power and wonder. It's a name describing God's eternal power and unchangeable character. So therefore, the name Yahweh to To see the amazing truth that Yahweh saves undeserving sinners like you and me because of the life, death, and resurrection of His only begotten Son, Jesus, is absolutely amazing. The name of Jesus is what we must believe in. This is not mythological. It's not just say His name and you're good. Believing in the name of Jesus is trusting your entire life to Him. All that He is, all that He came to do on our behalf. John spoke this way earlier in the letter, chapter 3, verse 23. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus. True Christians, those who are redeemed, saved from their sin, believe in Jesus alone for salvation and all of life. 
if you have not yet truly surrendered your life to Jesus, to be your Savior, to be your Lord, the one who rules you in all ways every day, then you must confess your sin and trust your life to Him in saving faith to be saved. To be saved from the guilt your sin has earned. To believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now John is writing to those who have believed in the name of Jesus so that they would have true confidence and that, that they now possess eternal life. Look with me. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. Christian, do you know that you have eternal life in Jesus? Do you know with certainty that you are eternally secure to live with God now and forever? And that you cannot lose this. This is the perseverance of the saints. It is eternal security. It is absolute confidence that if and when you die, you know that you're going to be with Him in life for eternity. This is very different than the person who thinks they know. Or hopes they know. No, you know with absolute confidence that you have eternal life with God. If you do not know this, you need to. Listen to Jesus' words himself regarding the certainty of our eternal standing for all those that Jesus came to save. John chapter 6, second part of 37 through 40. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is the beautiful doctrine known as the perseverance of the saints. That means those whom God has saved, those who believe in Jesus alone for salvation, those who are now called saints because Christ's righteousness is laid upon them, they will persevere. They cannot be lost or taken from God's secure grip on them for eternity. Listen closely to these promises of Christ concerning the security of the saved ones. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Church, we will not be cast out. God will not change his mind and reject us based on our performance or lack thereof. Your confidence in your eternal life with God need not be based on your performance. For it never was. You only ever had life with God. You only ever had right standing with Him, not based on your performance, but on Christ. So why change that? You should not. We did nothing to gain His love and acceptance. We can do nothing to lose it. We are His forever, church. Forever secure in His power. He says, I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. We cannot be lost. Every one of His sheep are precious in His sight. Not only are we precious, but we will stand with Him in victory. 
He will raise us up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. Do you see familiar language there? And I will raise Him up on the last day. We will have eternal life, not eternal death, not eternal destruction. Before we move on, I want, us, I want you to see the concrete foundation. These promises of deliverance are, I want you to see how they're, what they're laid upon. They're laid upon the perfect and sovereign will of God. Notice Jesus' words here. In verse 38, it says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. That means your salvation, Christian, your deliverance, is the result of the perfect, eternal will of God. It's on that foundation says it again in verse 39, And this is the will of Him who sent me. And then in verse 40, For this is the will of my Father. The coming and saving and securing of Jesus for our salvation is not based on our finicky or fleshly will. Praise God. But on the sovereign, eternal, all-powerful, mighty will of God the Father. What this means is that when you feel uncertain about your eternal standing, He doesn't. He doesn't feel uncertain about it. When you start to listen to the noise, when you start to over-focus on the raging storm in your life, He is steadfast and unwavering. Praise God that our eternal security rest depends on nothing in man but fully on God. This is the truth John wants the hearers, the brethren, to be confident in amidst the noise of the false teachers and and the heretics and the Antichrist and all who might come to deceive wolves and sheep clothing, whoever might come to to put a word of, of doubt, of unbelief, a word of temptation that it needs to be about you, to get yours. No. Hear the words of God to ground us. Jesus says later in chapter 10 of the Gospel of John, 27 through 29, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. My sheep will not be destroyed. My sheep will not be defeated. His reference to not perishing is, is to reference the contrast to eternal life. To perish is reference to eternal death. Those who remain in their sin, whom Jesus is not their Savior and their Lord. For those who, in superficial faith, just went to church or just read the Bible and, and didn't really die to self and give their lives to Christ. Those who who he's not really their Savior, he's not really their Lord, they, they still are their own. They will perish. They will be judged for their sin. They will, they will have and know punishment eternally. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 
While Scripture is clear to tell us we will suffer in this life, and that we will one day physically die, we will, we will never perish, church. Why? Because we have been secured into eternal life with God by His election, His salvation, and His ongoing omnipotent power. Listen to how Paul speaks of our reality in 2 Corinthians 4, 7-12. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Christian, are you... Are you wrestling in stretches of your life where you feel very powerless? Will you see with me that jars of clay are not very powerful? It is a good and right testimony that you see how powerless you are. So that you fully embrace the power of God at work in your life. And fully rest in Him. So that on those days where you're just like, I can't do this that that true testimony would turn you not to despair, not to self-loathing, not to resentfulness, but to wholly lean on the power of God. And that that, parents, spouses, is a good testimony for those around you, that they're reminded can't, I can't do this. I'm a, I'm a brittle jar of clay. But I've been given the opportunity to show the treasure, to show the, the power belongs to the Lord. That you see, it's not me, it's Him. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. For we who, are, who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. I prayed with the music team before service this morning, just... It, as this has been on my mind, that we are not wasting our struggles, wasting the ways that life's not working the way we want it to. But it's in that that we get to resonate with the suffering of Christ and we get to display that the treasure, the joy, is not in a life that works. A body that works, a marriage that works, a job that works. It's in the Lord. That's the testimony of the gospel that breaks into the world's view, the world's, the world's way. That's the light in the darkness. We're ready to die. That we're ready to suffer, that we're ready to endure hardship, 
Because it's in that often that the gospel is bright and the, the, the treasure of our joy in Christ is seen best. It's, it, it's cloudy when someone looks at you and everything seems to be going well. But it's really clear when things are not going well and your testimony is the Lord. So think about what are those things you've been going through. And I want you to think about the testimony you've been given to others. How are you sharing that? How are you not only preaching to yourself these truths, but sharing it with others? So that it goes to work. Paul's point to the Corinthians in his second letter is we will suffer greatly, but we're unbeatable. We're unbeatable in Christ. We're unbeatable in God's power. In His power, you need to see your life, Christian. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 1, 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Christian, our eternity... Glory, prizes, joy forevermore is guarded by God's power. And so this is what Jesus is emphasizing in John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The hand of God is no small thing. This anthropomorphic language is imagery used to make a point. Why? God is spirit. He does not have a hand. But the grip of God is unbreakable. So if God has you in His grip, you are His. Blood-bought with the perfect Son's blood, adopted into His family once and for all, vouched for, claimed from slavery to sin, into His kingdom. He has secured you in His grip. Who is going to get you out of that? No one. Paul says it this way to the Colossians, Colossians 3.3, For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. If you are hidden, you cannot be found. And therefore you cannot be snatched. For those who have died to sin, because of Christ's sovereign saving work in their lives, They are hidden with Christ in God. The implications of this verse are staggering. Our society loves to be assured. We want assurance. We want promises. We want guarantees. But there are very few, if anything, that are that. The old saying is, nothing is certain but death and taxes. If, if anything, that famous saying reveals just how uncertain this world and this life are. If anything. And it is true. While we love certainty in, in our circumstances, in our, in our positioning in life, in our job, in our families, in our marriages, we love the feeling of that. It, it, it's not certain. It's so frail. It's, it's so fragile. You can put your loved ones, you put your family in a solid room and lock the doors down and put the best 12-gauge you've got right on the only entry to the room and tell yourself, we're good. But any bomb, any fire, any tank, any microorganism can still kill every one of you. So are you really good? Solid? No. When you realize just how uncertain and unsecure just about everything in life is, 
you realize then how huge, how game-changing it is to know that we are hidden, secure in Christ's power and the sovereignty of God. That this is security at its highest level. That you can be secured. Church, we are, we are safe. We are out of reach and secure in God. Our soul, our eternity, our identity is secure in the power of God. Do you know this? You should, because it's true of you if you truly belong to Christ. Listen to Jesus' emphasis in verse 29, John 10, 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Who's going to break you out of God? If God has you, you are His. Nothing you or anyone else can do can break you out. Why? Because He's God. Those who are truly saved are secure in Him. Now, what's What's also true is those who are truly saved will struggle with sin. We will struggle with great doubt. We will still fall down. And so this is why our eternal security in Christ is so important to understand. It is God who saves us and who keeps us forever. We are secure in Him. It's not ours to uphold. It's up to Him. And He says, He promises, He will not let us go. Amen? The late theologian A.W. Pink says it well. Here the Lord anticipates one more objection. He knew full well that there would be some quibblers who would be foolish enough to say, true, the devil is unable to pluck us from the hand of Christ, but we are still free agents and therefore could jump out if we choose to do so. That's what the quibblers say. He says, Christ now bars out this miserable perversion. He shows us how that it is impossible for a sheep to perish even if it desired to, as though one ever did. The hand of Christ is beneath us. The hand of the Father is above us. Thus we are secure between the clasped hands of omnipotence his reference to greater than all is ongoing theme in holy scriptures no one is higher no one is more powerful than God no one can overcome him so with all that under your feet hear this verse again I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Beloved, God wants you to know, to be certain, to have real confidence that you have eternal life in Christ and always will. Church, I want you to see what this kind of confidence looks like when God has given us saving faith. A few great examples come to mind that I love. One is found in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 3, 16 through 18. Three dudes with some epic names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, replied to King Nebuchadnezzar, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. 
If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And we will, and He will rescue us from your hand, O King. But if He does not, we want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. If we have true faith in God, if we have trusted Him with our entire life, then nothing is more important than Him. Not this life. Not your stuff. Not your status. Not your health. Not even your family. If you have to lose it all, if you have to die, if God Himself determines it is time to go into the blazing furnace, then so be it. Why? How does one do that? Because I have God and God has me. Because God is my end. Because as Paul says famously, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain because I get to enjoy and feast with God in glory forever. As Christians who are saved, we want this to happen sooner than later. We don't make it happen because these days the Lord gives us and the things He calls us to, even the great suffering He may call us to, belongs to Him. It's His assignment for my life and my time. But I want to be with Him in glory. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, If God doesn't save us from the fire, we will still not bow down. They are talking to the one who at the time is the most powerful person in the world, King Nebuchadnezzar. He has all the authority and ability and track record to put them in a blazing furnace and watch them burn to death. They see the furnace blazing. To die by fire is literally one of the worst ways you could die. But they don't fold. They remain faithful to God to not bow down to any other God. And no matter what happens, they've already won. Why? Because they have certainty that they will be with God forever. That they have eternal life. See with me that in this they are spiritually fireproof. Because they're not clinging to something that they can lose. They're not trying to earn something they've yet to receive. It's when you're clinging to something you can lose, when you're trying to earn something you've yet to receive, that you will kick and scream to not go into that fire. When idolatry is at work in your life, you're not ready to die. Because you serve something else. You live for something else. They have God. They are joyful and satisfied in Him. Their hope is in Him and not their present exile, not their fear of death. Christians, don't fear death. Embrace it when God ordains its time. For when God determines its time that we die, we get to graduate to glory to be with Him. We need this church that we're so full of faith as various and very hard trials come our way, 
We must be full of faith and satisfaction in God alone, trusting Him to deem what is necessary for His perfect will, resting in Him, knowing that we're secure in Him. Another sweet example we see in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, another one who is certain in his eternity with God, a brother named Stephen who just finished testifying the gospel and he's about to be unjustly persecuted for that. Acts 7, 54 through 60, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He is being murdered by being pounced with stones. Rocks the hand of angry, sinful men, but he is fearless. Because he understands that this world, this life, is not his home. He understood it's his mission field. It was his temporary assignment. He understands that he is alive in Christ and he is totally confident in his eternal security in God's power. He understands what many times you and I can miss. That this life is not about our comfort, our retirement, our bank accounts, our kids' accomplishments. It is about our testimony of the living God who took on flesh and died in our place so that we will enjoy Him forever. This is why we don't remove ourselves from the days and the trials that God calls us to live through. We live, we serve, we worship, we disciple, we testify through it all until He decides to call us home. Christian, you will not fear when you have nothing to lose. When you are confident that God has you in His mighty grip. Listen to David's famous words in Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That is this life. You're in it. He says, I will fear no evil. Speaking of Christ as shepherd, he says, For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Christian, our boldness, our fearlessness is in the unbreakable promises of God. Again, it's in His power, your boldness and your fearlessness is not you. Don't make it you. Because if you do, you won't be very bold or very fearless very long. It's got to be grounded, fixed in Him. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. 
Even as 10,000 shadows of death come over us, we shall not fear because He, Jesus, is with us, church. He has us. you got to know this and you got to never forget it or lose sight of it. So it shapes you, it molds you, it moves you, it carries you. And when we get this, it is, it is truly a comforting truth of the greatest proportion. When we get this, then our faith goes to work in the most amazing ways. Are you ready to die? You can't just say we get this and then we're all undone when it gets really hard, when tragic death comes to our doorstep. In celebrating my 20th anniversary here, be part of shepherding this flock. Last week, I, I thought a lot about what 20 more years might look like if God would so will it. What we could do together, raising a generation or two and continue to preach. But I can't help but wonder also how the Lord might use me mightily if he were to take away my voice. Or take me home. What, what he might then do in you all in great ways for the kingdom. Parents, what about that child you love? That your testament of the gospel might be brighter, deeper, farther, better in your testimony of that child being done today to die than you getting to see them graduate grandkids, all of it. See? See what I mean? You, you can't just like it in the comfort of your chair as you're hearing the pastor preach. Preach, pastor? No, no. It's got to go to work in you. So it readies you. I want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want to be like Stephen. If that moment comes, I want to be unwavering. Not because I'm something, but because I'm just so fixed in the promise of God of who I am in Him. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm resting right there. That's it. John wants his beloved brethren in Christ to be assured in this. Amidst the noise, amidst the lies, amidst what's coming at them, I too want you to be confident in your eternal standing in God, church. Then John turns to the practical way this helps our abiding in God in the here and now, specifically in our prayer life with God. Look with me at how verse 13 rolls into 14 and 15. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. Church, eternal life with God, I want you to see this morning is something you have now and forever. Do you see it that way? Do you think about eternal life that way? That it has already begun for you? That you are now reconciled to the Holy God? Did you have access by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, the perfection and mediation of God the Son, to talk to God the Father in prayer anytime and all the time? God is the prize of eternal life. Christian, you have God now. 
And prayer is one of the sweetest ways you get to enjoy Him, be reminded of Him, to, to walk with Him. So, so John goes here as another layer of securing his listeners that they have confidence in their prayer life with God, their daily walk and talk with God. I love how the author of Hebrews says it in Hebrews 4.16. Same, same vein, listen. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We who belong to God because of Christ have access to God now and all the time. In, Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 3.12, In whom, in Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. We have access to God with confidence through faith in Him. Consider the amazing news that it is in Christ you have access to God the Father through God the Son by the power of God the Holy Spirit. That's huge news. We're reconciled to the holy triune God. Eternal life has begun. This access you have in eternal life, Christian, is way sweeter, way better than any other access you might be able to be given. It is not like a backstage pass to your favorite band. Or access to walk the, the White House freely. Or access to a huge bank account to spend as you like. No, no, no. This access we have to God is way better access to the living God who is set apart. First Chronicles 29.11 Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. God is high and exalted. He's reigning over all things. There is no one and nothing that is not under His reign and authority. So as Jesus teaches the disciples to pray in Matthew 6, verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's teaching them to recognize the set-apartness of God. That He's not common. He's holy. He's set apart. Nothing, no one is like Him in all creation. But to see, you have access to Him now. In Christ, we have access to God that He hears us when we pray to Him. And this is the confidence we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Do you have that confidence, Christian? You should. And again, do you not feel that way because of how you see your limitations at work? Your struggles at work? Because... Scripture doesn't teach you have access to God because you are like dialing up the channels just right by how you're living. Right? That's not how it works. You have access to Him because of the power of the Holy Spirit, the mediation of the Son to the Father. It's God. Now John gives an important qualification to our prayer life, and that is, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. See, it's important that you see God as faithful, as presence, as present, that He will hear and He will answer your prayer. But you need to always remember, prayer is answered in God's perfect time and in His perfect ways, not ours, and that that's a good thing. If it's not fast enough for you, you need to stop and remember and be okay with the fact that it's going to happen in His perfect time, not your imperfect time. We need to never lose sight of the fact that God will accomplish all of His perfect and holy will, but He is not about accomplishing our will or what we want it to be. He is God, we are not. We who belong to Jesus want to be in the center of His will and not ours. 
the Word of Truth Catechism, even in the very answer of what is prayer, reminds us of this. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God in praise, thanksgiving, confession of sin, and expressing our request to Him while submitting to His sovereign will. Submitting to the Father's sovereign will is what Jesus Himself modeled for us. Matthew 26, 39 My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so we must embrace what we've studied pretty thoroughly this last year in midweek gatherings, that prayer is much less about getting God to do what we want Him to, and much more about preparing us to join Him in what He's going to do. That's the gift of prayer to you. The needed reorientation you need to be full of faith and full of joy as you trust Him. When you pray, why you pray, if we're honest, is often much more about pleading with God that He would do it our way. But, oh, we, we should be far more motivated to pray so that we are joining God in what He's going to do or not going to do. Prayer is our opportunity to recognize God is in control. Submitting to that control is to ask for things with the understanding and the peace that the outcome is His to decide, and ultimately what He decides is best for His glory and my joy. We need to remember that God's will is not always our will. When we pray for God's will to be done, we shouldn't be trying to manipulate God into rubber stamping what we've already decided it should look like. Jesus taught the disciples this, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stop for a second and just think about what Jesus is saying. Will your kingdom come? In Christ, we are residents of God's eternal heavenly kingdom. We now live for a new king. What this means is we then now make kingdom decisions and we have kingdom desires. He's given us eternal eyes for things and not just temporary eyes. So this is why we like to, why we want to, why we need to yield to Him in prayer. Yielding is done by faith in God. I trust His way. I trust His will is better than mine. I trust that He's at work even when it's really hard. I yield myself, my situation, my loved one to Him. Romans 8, 26-28, the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress, for we don't even know what we should pray for, nor how we should pray, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groaning we cannot express in words. The Father who knows our hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Kingdom prayer, kingdom citizens, pray, want kingdom victory. I don't hold temporary things against that and try to then hold God hostage to that. No, I've I've yielded myself to Christ, to Him. When we pray, we're praying in faith. That means I'm trusting Him. Trusting His perfect will. I'm not demanding things of God. I have no place to speak to God that way. I'm bringing life's situations before Him in faith, and I'm trusting Him. I want to join Him in what He's going to do. I belong to Him. God's will is perfect, not ours. Those who trust in God don't want our will over His. We know better. We always want His will. For His will is perfect, eternal in purpose, perfect in grasp of all that is involved. Ours, mine is so limited, it's 
It's so often so selfish. It's, it's grossly imperfect. If we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. I pray for His will. He hears it. He will accomplish all of His will. Don't read this passage like whatever I ask, so now I start treating God like a genie in a lamp. Genie, here's my first wish. We, we see the same language elsewhere in Scripture, and, and in the same verses where clarity helps us, these same verses are manipulated to turn this into something it's not. A, a famous verse like Psalm 37.4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Prosperity nonsense teachers and believers will say, sweet, go to God, delight myself in Him, and then Ferrari, and you know, run fast, and lots of money, and whatever these other things are. No, no, no. If our delight is in the Lord, He is the desire of my heart. I get Him. key to all of this is to understand the person God has saved, the person who has been illuminated by the Holy Spirit, no longer wants their own will or way, for I now belong to Christ. He is the Lord of my life. We've come to see that His way is best, so my desire is for Him to be glorified and honored. To delight in the Lord and to know He will give me the deepest desire of my heart, which is Him. We know that He hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. John already spoke of this in chapter 3, 1 John 3, 21-22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. When we have right Confidence in God, resting on the sufficient and completed work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we will have confidence before God. James Montgomery Boyce says it this way. It says that if we are praying with a clear conscience, that is, if we are being honest and open before God, and if we are doing what God in His Word has commanded us to do, and if we're seeking to please God in every way possible, then we know that what we ask of Him we will receive We can know, to use Paul's words, that God is able and will do what we ask to accomplish His perfect and holy will. Which is where I want to be. Praise God that we can come to Him anytime and with anything. Praise God that He hears us and He answers our prayers in His perfect time and His perfect wisdom. Praise God that we no longer hold anything up in our hearts as more valuable than Him. What a gift God has given us in Christ. Confidence in Him now and forever. Confidence to draw near Him and pray and submit ourselves to His perfect will in all things. John writes these things because he wants his beloved brethren to know this confidence and to walk in it. And I ask you in closing, do you know it? And are you walking in it? I pray that our time in this portion of John's first letter today is helping you. It's drawing you near Him with confidence to the throne of grace so that you receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. And helping you know that you have eternal life. And Jesus will lose nothing of all the Father has given Him, but raise it up on the last day. Amen? Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this time to study your word, to worship you, to pray together, to fellowship and practice to one another's, to serve, to submit humbly ourselves to your word, to rest ourselves in you, to trust ourselves, that our faith 
is going to work in these ways, that your truths are redefining the faultiness of our foundations, that we would be secure in you alone, and that that changes then how we weather the storm, how we steward the days, and ready ourselves to when you are going to call us home. All this is in light of your amazing grace upon us. Let these truths spill out of us in worship and song and testimony, lives lived for your glory and others' good. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.